0: Good afternoon, and welcome to the very first episode of AI Chats. This is a podcast that will explore the exciting, ever-evolving, and occasionally controversial world of artificial intelligence, AI. Uh, The podcast is produced by the law firm of Haynes & Boone and the lawyers from its AI and Deep Learning Practice Group, which helps companies and individuals safeguard and protect their core AI products and methodologies. My name is Eugene Goryanov. I'm a Chicago-based partner of the firm in its IP practice group, and I represent clients in complex patent matters involving diverse technologies, including artificial intelligence. Let me also introduce you to two additional attorneys from the firm in its IP group that will co-host AI Chats with me. Gina Blickstein is an attorney in our New York office. Her practice focuses on AI and post-grant proceedings before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. We also have Hong Shi with us from our Austin office. Hong handles a broad range of patent prosecution and IP litigation matters and represents many clients in the artificial intelligence space. Today, for our episode number one, we're going to fittingly kick things off by covering some of the foundational questions, including what is AI and how does it work? Uh, we have invited Nathan Koppel, the Firm's Director of Media Relations, to moderate today's session, and he has kindly agreed. Nathan, I'll turn this over to you. Eugene,
1: many thanks. I'm really excited to get to get going here. It's hard to think of a more exciting and consequential topic, really, than artificial intelligence. But before we get started, let me take care of some legal housekeeping with our standard disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Is not intended to be legal advice and does not establish an attorney client relationship. The topics we discuss are subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. Well, I want to start today by getting everyone's opinion on the big news in early December that an AI network developed by Google offshoot DeepMind has made a leap in solving one of biology's biggest challenges. Han, could you please share your thoughts about the news coming out of Google?
2: This is truly a breakthrough of the first order, and I'm really excited to hear about this news. In my opinion, this is one of the most uh, significant scientific results in both AI and biology. Proteins are essential to life, and what a protein does largely depends on its unique 3D structure. Figuring out what shapes proteins fold into is known as the protein folding problem. And this has stood as a grand challenge in biology for the past 50 years. Google's AI system, named as Alpha Fold, has achieved startling accuracy in predicting the protein's 3D shape. And this longstanding grand challenge is now considered Solved. But this breakthrough further demonstrates that the impact AI can have on scientific discovery and its potential to really address some of the most fundamental fields that explain and shape our world.
1: Uh, thanks. Thanks for that, Hong. And Dean, I want to ask you about the, the GPT-3 network, which has also gotten a lot of press of late. Uh, what are your thoughts on that technology?
3: Uh, it's a wonderful technology, Nathan. Uh, so GPT-3 is a natural language processing system created by OpenAI. And what it does, it produces human-like text by the computers. And although prior to GPT-3, there were a lot of these natural language processing system systems, this one is just a lot more sophisticated than others. And what it can do, it can generate tweets, it can pen poetry, it can summarize emails, answer, answer trivia questions, translate text, and even write its own computer programs.
1: Yeah, and I, I would imagine the uses for that kind of, uh, the applications of that are pretty broad, obviously.
3: They're very broad, and I'm sure we will see a lot of GPT-3 inventions um, so very soon in the future.
1: And it's, I, I, I would imagine it's in the field of AI, there's big breakthroughs that happen uh, regularly. So I would anticipate we'll start off many of our podcasts to, to talking about kind of news items like this. But um, Eugene, I'm going to turn it over to you now to to, to go back uh, and, uh, to, to sort of the basics and, and offer a nutshell history of artificial, artificial intelligence. When, when was that term first coined? Uh,
0: well, thank you, Nathan. The term artificial intelligence itself was first coined in 1955 as part of a proposal for a university workshop. The workshop took place a year later, I believe it was July and August of 1956, where artificial intelligence as a new field of study was born. Uh, As part of the proposal for the workshop, John McCarthy, one of the founders of the workshop and a pioneer in the AI field, summarized AI as the science and engineering of making intelligent machines. Now, while that's a very broad summary, AI has grown leaps and bounds since that workshop took place. You know, As uh, recent as 1997, IBM's Deep Blue Computer won its very first chess game against world champion Garry Kasparov. You have IBM's Watson uh, defeating TV game show Jeopardy! champions. Uh, you have Siri, Alexa, Cortana, Google now being born over the past couple of years that use natural language to answer simple questions and enable smart home devices. And as recently as 2015, Tesla released its very first self-driving car. All of these are amazing developments, all of which carry with themselves tremendous technological as well as legal implications.
1: So Dino, I'm curious your thoughts about when you look at the trajectory of AI in recent decades, it's just been an incredible growth curve. What jumps out at, to you about how the technology has evolved?
3: Well, Nathan, the most obvious one is Google's DeepMind, uh, which just came out this past week. But let's also not forget the flying cars that are being experimented with in Dubai. And also, of course, the GPT-3, which we covered earlier.
1: Where do you, uh, in terms of flying cars, what's your sense of how many years it'll be before that really comes online in a serious way?
3: I think it's surprisingly soon because in Dubai, it's uh, it's being heavily invested in and experimented it. So I think we'll be able to see it in the next few years.
1: That's amazing. Hong, Let me let me ask you, if you can, to talk about the technology of AI. How does it work?
2: So at the heart of AI is usually a neural network model Uh, It has layers and interconnected nodes. These nodes are called artificial neurons, which is inspired by the biological neurons and processes in our human brains. So the model is first trained using a training data set. For example, images of bikes and cars from the training data set are sent to the model and the model learns various features of the bikes and the cars. The training continues until the model begins to correctly recognize those features and are able to classify the images to either bike or car based on these features. Once trained, the model then can be used to recognize or predict the object in a new image. This is called an inference process. So, for example, when the trained model sees an image having bike-related features, the model will provide a prediction indicating that this image includes a bike, not a car.
1: Thanks for that. I'm, I'm curious whether the, the data set that's used to inform um, AI applications, is that static or, or, or dynamic? And Dina, I'm curious, can the data set grow and evolve over time?
3: Um, yes, it does. I mean, yes, it can. So initially, at the, when the machine learning systems were at, the, it's at their infancy, the data sets were static. Now, the data sets are becoming more dynamic. So what happens once the machine is trained initially on a static data set, and then machine is goes into the real world? Uh, There's many more examples that the machine hasn't um, learned on yet. So that data can be fed back into the machine as additional examples, which further train the machine and cause the machine to produce the right outcome based on that new data set.
1: If I were to ask you about this in the context of autonomous vehicles, for example, I mean, they, so what I'm hearing is the AI that, that's used just grows progressively more adept at, at, um, understanding the different things that are, that one encounters, uh, on a roadway. Is, is that right?
3: Uh, that's correct, Nathan. And one example of this is when the autonomous vehicles first came out, um, they could not tell a difference, for example of a truck and uh, and, and the sunset, right which caused, which has caused a car accidents, right But now having that data, the autonomous vehicles can be retrained to differentiate between the two.
1: Hong, I've heard that 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 the issue of bias can pose a key challenge in machine learning. Can you explain why that is, and what are some of the legal implications of bias in machine
2: learning? Sure. as Dina just explained, the output of a model can then be used again as a training data set, and this actually um, illustrates one. Inherent issue of machine learning, which is bias. The bias can be introduced by the training data. For example, the training data may not present the entire problem space. Like training an autonomous vehicle with only daytime data. This is called sample bias. And then the bias can also be from the model, which is designed by humans, and humans can be biased. This sometimes can be referred as algorithm bias. The issue of the bias is that it can help to perpetuate itself in a way that's self-fulfilling. As Dina just explained, the model um, will generate an output, and the output may be used, again, as a training data to train the model. As such, a small bias in the training data can have a huge ripple effect, as such it is important to detect negative biases and then take reasonable steps to mitigate those negative biases.
1: What, what are some examples of steps that, that are taken to try to mitigate bias?
2: So uh, one of the risks was the bias in machine learning, for example, uh, is related to diversity or discrimination or fairness. For example, AI tools um, can be used by companies in hiring for candidate selections, interviews, which can result in unintentional discriminations. So for the steps to um, mitigate those negative biases is to understand how these AI tools could be uh, biased. And we're additionally, we're also seeing a very clear move toward AI regulation, both in the United States and abroad to address concerns like these raised by AI. For example, earlier this year, the European Commission published a white paper on AI highlighting that one of the key requirements for AI is diversity, non-discrimination, and fairness.
1: I'm going to put a pin in that because I I assume that the regulation of AI is going to be a huge topic for us uh, going forward in, in, in future podcasts. Um, thanks for, for flagging that. Um, you know, I know AI relies on a, on the storage and use of a huge amount of, of data. Uh, Dean, I'm wondering, does that give rise to any data privacy
3: and safety issues? It does, Nathan. Uh, as Hong pointed out earlier, um, the AI is trained on data, right? And you can have uh, data and data sets that are public, like a squad or ImageNet or Wiki. So, for example, squad is used to answer questions. ImageNet can be used to detect faces. And Wiki can be used to summarize paragraphs. But what happens if that data is human data? right, such as a person's healthcare records. And those can be used to treat diseases or to uh, predict future diseases, right? So if a machine is trained on that kind of data, the machine can recognize the person who owns that data, right? And then will we discriminate against that person? And it's extremely important for the for these reasons <laughs> to either anonymize the data or make sure the data is protected and it's not breached. And that makes
1: sense. Um, Well, I'm going to ask, I'd like you, starting with you, Hong, and we're going to want to sort of preview what some of the future episodes will cover. This is such a vast field. And so just curious what you foresee on the horizon for this podcast.
2: Uh, We will invite leading AI thought leaders and um, developers to join Haines and Boone attorneys to discuss various current and uh, prospective uses of AI in a broad range of technology areas, including natural language processing, healthcare, autonomous driving, cloud computing, and medical devices.
3: We can also cover novel legal issues presented by using AI in business and. Into- operations, intellectual property portfolio development, privacy, data protection, and employment law, among others.
1: Let's end by talking about an issue that we will explore in many facets in future episodes of AI Chats, and that is that AI permeates intellectual property. What types of AI inventions are out there, and who is the inventor of that intellectual property? And I'm going to turn to you, Eugene, for that question.
0: Well, Nathan, you're absolutely right. Uh, Artificial intelligence-related inventions are everywhere these days. And at least as of right now, they generally fall into two categories. There are inventions that utilize AI, and that goes to some of the things that uh, Dina and Hong have uh, spoken about earlier. Um, Implementations, uses, training data, training algorithms, and so on. Then, in the second camp, you have inventions created by AI, where AI is actually coming up with a particular solution to a particular problem. Now, of course, this creates a whole host of legal questions, and those include, who is the inventor? Is it the engineer who coded the AI? Is it the person who utilized the artificial intelligence to instruct it to solve a particular problem? Or is it AI itself, the thing that came up with a solution to the problem that was given? And this and other questions are going to be permeating all of our conversations going forward about the various implementations of AI and how it shows up in various business and corporate contexts.
1: This is kind of an elemental question, I I would think, but why is it important to ha- to designate an inventor? Could you just leave that question unanswered?
0: Um, no. So at some point in a patent application process, you have to designate who is the inventor of the invention, of the solution to the problem. And as it stands right now, a computer cannot be an inventor. An inventor must be a natural person. Now, of course, this is just a matter of law, and laws can and possibly may change in the future. but this is what the case is right now now, of course, there are various strategies to um, overcome this limitation, and we will discuss this and other issues related to it in our future sessions.
1: Well, sounds great well Eugene Dina Hong, thank you for this for this excellent primer on AI.
3: Thank you to our guests and listeners for joining us on the maiden voyage of AI chats. You can find today's episode and future ones in the major podcast platforms such as Apple, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Amazon.
0: Our podcasts and relevant articles about artificial intelligence topics are also located at the firm's AI and deep learning practice page, which can be found at haynesboon.com.
2: Our practice page also contains our contact information. Please feel free to reach out to any of us if you'd like to suggest topics for future AI Chats episodes. Take care all.